Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Fleming Foundation Radio. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner. Today I have as my guest, Dr. Thomas Fleming. This is a special edition of our podcast series. We haven't settled into a normal rhythm of things yet, but given the recent attacks here in Paris, I thought it might be helpful to discuss some of these happenings with Dr. Fleming. Dr. Fleming, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's my pleasure. Well, I think everybody's been focused on what the French reaction has been. I think a lot of people understand that somewhat. I thought we might start by actually getting your impression from over there. Uh, what has been the reaction in the United States and uh, add your own reaction to that reaction? <laughs> the, uh, the reaction here has been is complicated. I think that all of the ordinary people I talk to, and they tend to be moderately conservative or, or old-fashioned in their opinions, but more, you know, if you talk to a barber or a taxi driver or a store clerk, their view is that uh, their eyes are being opened. They no longer accept the notion that Islam is a religion of peace. They're beginning to understand that, they're, that they need to be protected from uh, dangerous uh, terrorists that uh, would like to do them harm. The, po the, the political class has responded uh, rather eccentrically. On the one hand, you have Republicans and Fox News commentators who are demagoguing the issue and saying things like, uh, this is Shepard Smith on Fox News talked about, this was an unprecedented act of violence in human history. I guess people at Fox News don't read much human history. You know, the death of, a, of 130 people or so is, uh, is uh, insignificant compared with the kind of uh, acts of violence that go on every day in the world. And in fact, Islamic terrorism goes on every single day. The, on the other hand, uh, the Democrats don't want to talk about it. When asked, uh, both uh, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders and other leading Democrats, they say, well, this shouldn't alter our decision to bring in so-called Syrians, so-called refugees. I say doubly so-called because a huge percentage of these people coming in from the Middle East turn out to be uh, North African or Pakistani or even uh, Sub-Saharan African. And uh, men, most, um, a huge number of them are young men of military age who seem uh, hell-bent on committing acts of violence. And so a large number of them are not Syrian, perhaps half or more, and uh, they're not refugees. Many of them are, be, are just being sent out from Turkey, which is tired of holding on to these people. So the whole, the whole, the whole affair has been, has been wildly misrepresented in the press. But meanwhile, you know, uh, President Obama says we should take in 10,000 of these potential terrorists, and Hillary Clinton says, no, no, let's make it 65,000. Well, why don't we make it 65 million? That there is within the within the Democratic leadership, they, it, it does not seem like they wish to win this election. And second, because because nothing could be less popular a position to take. If you you believe me, there are very few people in the black community who want uh, who want tens of thousands of uh, of, of uh, Middle Eastern people to come in and muscle them out of jobs and welfare. It's not this is not a popular position in the black community. And uh, and among uh, among working class whites, uh, which the party needs if they're going to win a national election, among you know union voters, working class whites, etc., swing voters, those people have, have are terrified. So it's it um, it looks like it's tailor made uh, to give the election to the Republicans, and of course the Republicans are acting as they always act like complete idiots. John Kasich, uh, who is the governor of Ohio, who thinks he's running for the presidential nomination in the Republican Party, Kasich has changed his position. He originally favored allowing in uh, Syrian so-called refugees. Now he says that the events in Paris have forced him to change his mind. Well, what didn't he know over the past 10, 20 years? That he apparently is unaware that uh, Middle Eastern Muslims cr uh, cause acts of terrorism. I mean, this is this is news to him. So uh, it is it, 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 a man who loved his country and took it seriously, 
would have to wonder what kind of a people have we become that we produce leaders who can't, who do not have the wisdom or forcefulness of, of Mr. Hollande. I mean, Hollande is one of the most foolish and feeble leaders in the history of France and in the history of Europe. But Hollande is acting like a man for a change, uh, as opposed to Obama, who can do nothing but dip. Well, and obviously, uh, we maybe I, I don't want to get into this at this point, Dr. Fleming, but I, I see echoes of, you know, let's roll or uh, we're going to smoke them out. When I hear pitiless war uh, yeah. against a terrorist, I'm, I'm wondering how the French learned nothing from Iraq. Uh, and obviously, it's a chance for us to cast back to uh, something that you were leading the charge with uh, years ago when we were talking about the uh, the lead up to the Iraq war is that you were you were asking the real questions who is this war against what sort of tactics are we using and what are the chances for blowback if we don't do this well and well the ch- realistically yeah. Paris is a result of uh, not not following your advice uh, all those years ago the the one of the problems we, we seems to me we have a twofold problem one we think that we can stop suicide bombers by threatening to kill them. Now, I mean, this is so completely foolish. You wonder uh, who is writing the speeches of American politicians. These are people willing to die. They're happy to die. And threatening them and bombing their families, their women and children, is a way only of stiffening their resolve to continue to commit acts of terrorism. Secondly, the point of terrorism is not to take territory, not to not not to uh, reap any immediate material advantage. The point of terrorism is to instill fear. Is the is Muslim leaders and Islamic invading armies have always used advanced forces of terrorists to create confusion and chaos and panic. So that when the big army finally comes and says, we're taking over, we can offer you a stable order, then people sigh and say, well, anything's better than what we've been putting up with. So this, the, the acts of terrorism in, uh, in Europe and uh, elsewhere in the world, these, these, these come from a long and well-thought-out uh, position. It's a strategic weapon. And we don't. We seem to think that the, the object is just to kill Frenchmen or kill Americans or blow things up. No, the object is to break the will of the enemy, and they're doing a very good job of that. The we the other problem is, you know, using drone attacks and imitating the behavior of Israel in in blowing up whole apartment buildings in order to get one suspected terrorist along with. 30 or 40 relatives and women and children, this simply reinforces the perception among Muslims that, uh, that Europeans and Americans are mad dogs willing to kill children. If you listen to their side of the story, they are, they are uh, innocent, sweet, gentle people who have be, are being slaughtered by a merciless and pitiless war, technological war machine. Now, obviously, this isn't true, but there's enough truth in it to to mean that we'll have endless trouble so long as we continue to make war on civilians in the Muslim world. From your side, Dr. Lamy, it seems like neither the Republicans or the Democrats either seem to grasp the actual situation nor are offering any sort of effective solution. So it's, it's going to be status quo for whoever uh, wins the presidential election next year. I, I I I think so. We have we we have the worst possible strategy in the world. On the one hand, we have we have the rhetoric of uh, not only of the Republicans but of Democratic leaders like Madame Clinton, who wants to who talks like uh, a Trotskyist revolutionary. We have to go around the world overthrowing sexist regimes liberating women and there's no price that we won't pay in order to democratize the human race and i mean this is this is this is just international terrorism that she's calling for and so we on the other hand it's not backed up by force instead of uh walking softly which is what a diplomat does and carrying a big stick 
which is what military leaders do. We are we are beating the bushes, yelling and screaming, but we but we're carrying a pop gun. We we, we are simply not prepared to uh, risk the the amount of lives and and to spend the amount of money that it would take to create order. If they want order in the Middle East, that means building an American empire in the Middle East. It does not mean the, the kind of fooling around we've been doing in Iraq or Afghanistan. These are all these were fools' errands, and they have ended the way fools' errands always end. And it was it was easy to foresee. Many of us predicted that we, we would get nothing but misery out of our uh, foolish attack on Iraq, and it, and that's exactly what's happened. And this is this is going to go on because, first of all, uh, the American political class are are completely uneducated. They are they are more unsophisticated and stupid in the way that you you wouldn't expect uh, somebody selling shoes in a in a shopping mall to be. They do not understand Islam. They do not understand that this struggle has been going on for thirteen hundred years, and they they because. Like American businessmen who are focused on quarterly earning statements, which on which their salaries depend, U.S. politicians depend on being reelected every two years or every four years or every six years, and that is all they care about: saying the kinds of lies that will get them reelected. This is not leadership; this is simply huckstering and chicanery. Well, you mentioned that Hollande is uh, being somewhat more manly. He's under threat, obviously, from the right. Marine Le Pen's uh, opinion polls have been have been surging since this uh, time, even though obviously she represents this dangerous nationalist right wing, as, as she's painted here. If 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 Hollande is simply channeling, as I said, what what Bush did after nine eleven. Um, where does this end for him? Does he get reelected as the the strong military focused uh, liberal who's found his moment, or does Marine Le Pen manage to make enough of a dent uh, to actually be elected? It's a it's a good question. Um, I was listening to um, a French political analyst about two days ago. Uh, he's a resident in Britain right now, uh, teaching at a university, and. He said it was it was extraordinary. He said that the real danger, the really bad thing coming out of all of this is the rise of the political right in Europe, not just in France and Germany, but even in, in left wing Scandinavia. And, he's, and so he paused, obviously wondering what impression this would make, because after all, people have died. And he said, well, of course, if you were among the people who were killed by the terrorists, that would be a bad thing for you. But a more serious problem is the political question is, is the right going to take power? Now, I, I have to wonder that, 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 there is, that there could be one such person in Europe who thinks that the problem is not Islamic terrorism, but the, the rise of the right in response to it. But in fact, this is the entire position of the left in Europe and in the United States. The fear that somebody like Marine Le Pen or, or her counterparts in, uh, in other parts of Europe are going to take power. The, the strategy in France and the strategy in Europe for 20 years has been to block the the uh, the so-called far right from from coming to power and the and the conservatives are the worst because they they are all, all the conservative parties the mainstream conservative parties in uh, in the UK and on the continent they are they are unanimous in saying they will never take part in any government that has these elements of the far right in it so for them for for the mainstream right and the mainstream left any outcome is preferable to the emergence of a uh, of a right wing alternative. Now, this this has some interesting consequences. One of which is they are terrified that 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 the people of Europe and the United States might actually wake up someday and realize how they have been tricked and exploited by political leaders. Of the of uh, of left and right who are completely unscrupulous and unprincipled. So uh, 
Whether Hollande can bring it off, I rather think he probably won't because he is such a weak sister in general. I mean, he's very, he, he can't even stand up straight. You know, he, he, you know, he has, he's a limp uh, dishrag of a, of, a, of a political figure. We're not dealing with, a, with, a, with an exciting imposter like Chirac or something like that. We're, we're dealing with a very a feeble lifetime socialist. But um, I, the big question is, will, will, uh, will uh, Le Pen and other right-wing leaders, will they have the stability and the fortitude to, to see this thing through? Because, you know, as you know, I mean, I remember I was once in Paris when, uh, the, and I was, I was going to be interviewing uh, her father and a number of other leaders of the, uh, of the party, and, of course, that's when the party blew up with one faction accusing the other of anti-Semitism and the other a faction accusing of racism. And as long as uh, right-wing parties continue to display these, this kind of instability and disloyalty among themselves, uh, they're not going to come to power. And even now you've got uh, Marine Le Pen and her father quarreling. So you, they, they really have to get their act together. Right. Well, and that that managed. Uh, she did manage to consolidate her her power and and kind of put him out into the cold, uh, some time yes. back. But I've always yes. had the sense that there's, you know, it's 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 like a UKIP in in the United Kingdom. There's a certain percentage of people who are willing to allow the nationalist parties to win in European elections because that's when the discontent is largest. So you'll see UKIP sweep the board in England. You'll see the National Front sweep the board in France because people feel safe because the European Parliament doesn't have any real power. So they can show they're angry and put the National Front in power in the European Parliament. But it seems that the the magic number is right around 30 percent, at least in France, that there are 30 percent of people who are willing to vote for the National Front in a national election, knowing that the National Front won't win. But can can she take enough? She'd need to basically take at least 20% from all other parties in order to have a real shot. I don't think, I really, I think part of it depends on how well Hollande handles the coming days and weeks. Uh, if he does uh, handle it well, perhaps he, he, he takes the, uh, the Tony Blair script uh, of being the, the liberal who's uh, a big war prosecutor. Yeah. You know, it, one, one interesting uh, parallel is uh, the, the, for me, Italian politics has always been among the most interesting in Europe because Italian politics is willing to entertain possibilities that they won't entertain in uh, Britain or France or Germany. And in Italy, for example, they, there were two right-wing, major right-wing parties, the, the National Alliance, which is neo-fascist, and the Lega Nord, which is decentralist and uh, federalist. And in Italy, they were able to bring those two opposing factions together with sort of mainstream, moderate, conservative, you know, sort of Republican party types and rule the country and it, with, with a coalition. And, what, what, and the, the, you know, the Italian system, electoral system, is, is, is based on the French system. And it, it, I, I don't understand why uh, the French cannot, the French right cannot imitate what Berlusconi did in Italy so successfully, I mean, in, in, a, in a political sense, to build an anti-communist coalition that can actually take and hold power. And that really, I think, is uh, what has to be done. And in, in America, of course, there's no point in talking about it because there is no right in America. I mean, there's uh, the, the, the so-called conservative movement is what would be called a liberal movement anywhere else in the world. Well, and I, I would say... Um the, would you say that the conservative movement has been somewhat uh, co-opted by the libertarian movement as Ron Paul having had the most uh, popular um, surge among those sorts of people, you could say? Yeah, but, the, but, but you know, starting at National Review in the 1950s, William Buckley's a classical liberal. And he said so over and over. He said, I'm the true liberal. These people who call themselves liberals are actually Marxists. Well, that's true. And so here in America, uh, really, this has been the tradition since World War II that liberals are socialists, that people who say they're liberal are socialists, 
and people who say they're conservative are actually liberal. So they're even uh, even in the 1950s, there the uh, the so-called conservative movement was always dominated by libertarians and classical liberals, people like Frank Meyer, uh, Chodorov. The whole there was a whole a whole gaggle of them. And they had, there were uh, conservatives like Russell Kirk or Bob Nisbet or uh, Richard Weaver, but those conservatives were only window dressing for the capitalist liberals who actually ran the movement and ran the Republican Party. And uh, it's worse now, of course, that the party's foreign policy and ideology is taken over largely by uh, Trotskyist leftists. So, uh, so the party is per, is perhaps as dangerous in foreign policy as the Democratic Party is dangerous in domestic policy. They are these are these are the forces that will grind the American people out of existence if they're allowed to. Well, Doc Sumi, I started today's episode by asking you what the view was from the United States to the events that was that were happening in Paris. I thought I'd bring in uh, Dr. Trifkovich to talk about what the view is from Europe to the events. And as someone who uh, taught me a lot about the real Muslim agenda, I welcome his perspective. And I'm sure you do as well, Dr. Fleming. Dr. Trifkovich, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. So um, what, uh, what has been your, your first impressions from, from the, uh, the events that happened here in Paris and uh, in, the, in the days following? Uh, my first thought was whether the European elites will again tell us that this is not real Islam, that this is some kind of aberration and misunderstanding of the religion of peace and tolerance and that we need to be on guard against Islamophobia, because that seems to be normal and default reaction of uh, the powers that be to each and every Muslim attack on both sides of, of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, and I was not disappointed, if that is the right word. Uh, what uh, is remarkable is that even though uh, it is obvious that there is direct correlation between the size of an Islamic diaspora and the likelihood that a terrorist attack will take place, uh, the ongoing migrant deluge from the Middle East, from the greater Middle East, is continuing unabated. Only a day before the, the attacks in Paris last Friday, uh, it was reported in Serbia that 9,000 so-called migrants, uh, some still call them refugees, uh, had entered Serbia from uh, the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia to the south. So uh, there is a grand schizophrenic reaction. On the one hand, uh, the French performed a pathetic uh, military feat by bombing ISIS with 20 planes and claiming that they, they were at war with them. On the other, uh, there is simply no space whatsoever in the public debate in Europe to uh, ask the obvious, to uh, ask whether this continued influx will have dire consequences for Europe's not only civilizational and demographic picture, mm. but, also, but also for her security. It is obvious that the French security forces are not up to the task, even at the level of the Islamic diaspora, as it has been over the past few years. Last January, when Charlie Hebdo was attacked, both attackers uh, had been on the radar screen of the French security services, and then slipped away. And then the same thing happened with the sole attacker on uh, the express train from Brussels to Paris last summer that was, uh, that was stopped by some passengers, including American soldiers. And, uh, uh, and the same seems to be the case now. In other words, if they are not able to manage and to keep under control the radical segment of their Islamic diaspora right now, what will it be like when these multitudes, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions, the EU forecasts that by the end of next year there will be three million of them, enter Europe yeah. and uh, uh, an unknown number of sleepers uh, with them? Sergio, did you see um, 
that uh, Alex Tsipras, the uh, the president of Greece, the other day when uh, when the subject came up, and he said, "Oh well, terrorism and the immigration question are completely separate because the Muslims coming into Greece, and of course they are inundated. The Muslims entering Greece are they are the first victims." of ISIS aggression. <clears throat> is he uh, is is Merkel telling him to say these things or uh does he does uh is it just that Cyprus is so far to the left that uh, like other leftists he hates his country? Well both in fact. But uh, let us not forget that President Obama said something very similar two days ago in response to the initiative by uh, a sizable group of governors in the United States uh, to prevent Syrian uh, so-called refugees from settling in, uh, in their states, including Alabama and Texas. And he said, uh, I cannot quote from memory verbatim, but more or less the same thing, yeah, that uh, yeah. these two issues should uh, are entirely separate. And, uh, uh, and we even have the Prime Minister of Serbia, uh, Alexander Vucic, not that he met us in the least, saying yesterday that, uh, uh, that we should not confuse the two issues and that, as he put it, 99.99% of these people are just poor refugees who are looking for, for a better life. Now, since he's simply parroting the line that is dictated to him from Brussels, not only on this issue, but on literally every issue of, of significance, uh, I think that that is going to be the, the consensus of the establishment. Yes, well, they'll all go down. They'll all go down together. What, what, um, what, what about um, Serbian popular opinion and uh, opposition opinion? I mean, because like, like Greece, I mean, Serbia, Croatia, and other Balkan countries, are, uh, they're on the front line of this invasion force. So there, there must be some opposition growing. Oh, absolutely. But that opposition uh, was, uh, is, is muffled for the simple reason that Serbia's media right now are more strictly controlled uh, than at any time during the reign of Slobodan Milosevic before uh, October 2000. So that uh, even the sole exception to that rule, the leading Serbian newspaper Politica, which is 110 years old, is simply parroting the liberal consensus uh, from Brussels, Paris, and Berlin. So there is no real articulation of uh, uh, concern and uh, and uh, uh, angst about the future in the media. It is present among the public, but it has no chance of being articulated in the public space. Are there any, is there any possibility of public demonstrations or would the authorities uh, crack down too hard? Oh, they did already when an attempt was made by uh, a number of uh, patriotic groups uh, of uh, including uh, Dveri and Nashi and 1389, and uh, they were demonized immediately in exactly the same way and even more harshly as Marine Le Pen is demonized by the French establishment or Strache in Austria or uh, Gert Wilders in the Netherlands. So uh, just as a German social democratic politician, the vice president of the SPD, SPD, in fact, said last week that there should not be a millimeter of public space for Pegida, the, the German anti-immigrant network, uh, because they're the ones who are trying to profit from uh, terrorist attacks. We are also uh, hearing uh, the line that goes roughly as follows. Uh, ISIS and other terrorists want to drive a wedge between uh, Europe and, uh, and the Muslim communities, and we must not allow them to succeed. So we must uh, extend our welcome and prove to those communities that, in fact, we are neither racist nor xenophobic nor Islamophobic, quote-unquote, for each of those three words. So. Uh, absurdly, uh, the more terrorist attacks there are, the more will be there will be uh, exertions by the ruling elites 
to prove that uh, there are none of those things and that we need to remain tolerant and inclusive and multicultural as a means of fighting ISIS. It's, it's, well, pure, it's, it's, pure, it's pure schizophrenia. Yeah. It's the George, it's the George Bush formula. Uh, uh, Islamic terrorists bring down three planes. It's the, wor- the, the, the worst kind of uh, terrorist crisis in the history of the United States. And the response is to declare Islam a religion of peace. And uh, the more the more uh, of this we get, the more the more acts of violence and terrorism around the world. And I emphasize around the world because you know, go to Nigeria, go to the Sudan, go go to Indonesia, and you see the same pattern: Christians, or not even Christians, but but uh, people of of a pagan religion, being persecuted on a regular basis, slaughtered, raped, uh, and uh, and enslaved. This this is this is a global pattern, and the more of it goes on, the more we hear about the religion of peace. And at the same time, uh, the news of that kind is being censored in the West. In fact, I think that uh, with the treatment of different terrorist attacks, we have a blatant example of the situational morality of, of the elite class. Let's just remember that after... Uh, uh, the, the Russian plane disaster of, over Sinai Peninsula two weeks ago, the, the self-same Charlie Hebdo uh, published a disgusting cartoon uh, with uh, plane parts and bodies falling from the sky and jihadists on the ground running for cover. And the caption was, Russia intensifying uh, air attacks on ISIS. Now, uh, that is uh, the kind of reaction that uh, passes as legitimate satire. I would like to see what would be the reaction if uh, a Russian so-called satirical magazine were to publish an equivalent about the attacks in Paris on Friday. And uh, only a week before the attacks in Paris, we had a bloody bombing in in Beirut where two suicide bombers uh, detonated uh, uh, their vests in a Shiite uh, a part of town, and the number of victims was far higher than that in Paris. And it was rarely mentioned in the Western media. And as far as uh, the Christian suffering is concerned, well, on the whole, that's news unfit to print. And uh, let's not forget when uh, the Slovak Prime Minister, Robert Fico, uh, indicated a couple of months ago that Slovakia would be prepared to accept uh, some refugees provided that they were Christians, both because they would find it easier to adopt to Slovakian way of life and because they are the most uh, endangered community in Syria. There was a hysterical outcry all over Europe uh, and threats uh, to expel Peter's socialist party from uh, the socialist grouping in the European Parliament. Yes, it's a, it is the, the, the one crime against humanity is to prefer the interests of your own country and your own people and your own religion to that of any other group. And it is simply un, unacceptable. It's like, imagine you were told you had to love somebody else's family and children as much as you love your own. Well, that's actually the essence of, of socialism, is to reject you. Uh, we've seen, uh, again, the hysterical reaction to Viktor Orban's statement, yeah. uh, the Prime Minister of Hungary, that uh, uh, the character of Europe is uh, a change and uh, that uh, Europe should belong to the Europeans. Ooh, horror! Uh, of course, the slogan <laughs> of uh, the decolonization movement was Africa for the Africans, or Asia for the Asians, or Latin America for the Latin Americans. But, oh, when it comes to Europe for the Europeans, it's verboten. You know, Jean Raspail, the great French novelist who uh, uh, predicted in his novel Camp of the Saints a a third world invasion of Europe that would just utterly uh, destroy what's left of Western civilization, Raspai, uh, what is not widely known, um, uh, except among his admirers, that he uh, defended small ethnicities like the Indians in Patagonia 
who were being whose identity was being destroyed by uh, large Latin American countries, and you know he was always uh, in favor of the of the small peoples of the world being able to defend themselves, whether they're French or or uh, Eskimos, and uh, of course this this absolutely was never mentioned in all of the attacks that were launched upon Raspai for saying that Europe has to defend Europe. Well, uh, we have the same phenomenon in uh, the countries of real socialism before the fall of the Berlin Wall. There is an almost ritualistic condemnation of uh, the designated fault criminal, whether he's called uh, uh, Gilas or Solzhenitsyn, without his works having been read by those who are uh, repeating uh, the ritual mantra of condemnation. Uh, what uh, is remarkable about Raspai's vision uh, is that uh, he uh, envisaged the invasion by subcontinental Indians. And yes. I think that uh, uh, in reality, uh, the problem of the combination of third world primitivism and savagery and Islamic divinely ordained uh, duty to spread both literally and figuratively uh, is far more dangerous. After all, not many people realize that uh, Islam counts era from the so-called Hijra, which is the migration of Muhammad and his early followers from Mecca to Yathrib, later called Medina, in yes, uh, July yes. of 622 AD. Now, uh, they don't count it from Muhammad's birth or from what would seem more logical, from the time of his first alleged revelation in, in 610. They counted from the moment when he and his 200 early followers migrated and established a theocratic dictatorship in Medina, slaughtered the Jews, and used it as the springboard for attacks on caravans and ultimately for the conquest of the Arabian Peninsula. And the pattern has been repeated ever since. Migration by Muslims either goes hand in hand or precedes the physical conquest. Yes. You know, as, as luck would have it, um, the Russian novelist, uh, what's her name? Kudinova. Uh, yes. His, uh, her, I believe the English translation of her book is due out something like this week, uh, which uh, the the book is, uh, of course, the uh, Notre Dame de Paris Mosque, it, uh, a, a portrait of France under uh, under harsh Islamic dictatorship, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if if the book has any traction in uh, in the United States. I I think probably it will never be mentioned. Oh, it will be uh, ignored rather than demonized, because if you start demonizing it, then you nevertheless give it some publicity. Now, the the one worrying part of Trudinova's dystopic vision is that uh, uh, there still is a resistance movement in Shariatized France, and on current form, with a, a seemingly very successful process of indoctrination of the younger generation through state schools and uh, and the popular subculture, uh, it is greatly to be feared that even if there is such resistance movement, it will be composed of old people who have a collective memory of the meaning of identity and tradition and uh, of uh, uh, ancestors and of old uh, myths and songs and uh, traditions and at the moment, I think that the West European youth are no better uh, off than their American equivalents when yes. it comes to this discontinuity of cultural transmission. They may be worse off because in America there are still a kind of redneck element in the South and West who, you know, they, they'll wave the Confederate flag or, you know, they're, they're, they're uneducated and they, they have a very... Um, uh, strange view of history, but they still feel that that it, the country belongs to them and not to aliens. And every every effort is being made to eliminate these people, but they're not entirely gone yet. In Europe, the equivalent would be the jobs 
from uh, yeah. the working class neighborhoods of Birmingham and Liverpool. But unfortunately, uh, there is less of a genuine tradition worth preserving among these Lumpen proletarians yes. and more of a simply thuggish gut reaction that uh, is cleverly exploited by the elite class to illustrate their primitivism and propensity to violence. There is a, unfortunately no substance worth preserving in, in, in their behavior. Yeah, I, th that's, um, I think that's true. You and I don't and pro, and in um, and France and Italy there's there seems to be nothing uh, and uh, even, parallel and, and even less so in Germany and uh, yeah. again when you see uh, demonstrations they usually happen in what used to be the GDR which uh, yeah. which is very interesting because the same phenomenon we've seen with the refusal of uh, the Visegrad Four, uh, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, and Poland to uh, accept allocated uh, refugee quotas from Brussels. It looks like for all its uh, uh, Pavlovian attempt to establish uniformity of thought and, uh, and feeling, the communist regimes were less successful in uh, uh, fundamental manipulation of the human mind than uh, the capitalist liberal democracy. And, uh, yes, I, yeah. and the I've been making this yeah. I've been making the, this argument for years that, that John Dewey in the United States, who used public education as a means of creating the new democratic man, was far more successful than Stalin and his successors and satellites. Because in the case of uh, in the case of the communists, you know, it's like going to Cuba, where if you like old-fashioned automobiles, that's all you can find there. Many things are sort of preserved in, in, under communist dictatorships because people understand how evil the regime is. Whereas in Western in Western regimes, they don't understand that, and they're and they're completely corrupted and bought out by the by the powers that be. Uh, yes, I, uh, I noticed it uh, from personal experience when I was uh, in my early teens in, in Belgrade in the late 60s and the early 70s. I remember vividly uh, my parents' friends, my grandmother's friends, discussing issues of substance, uh, including the heretical thoughts on uh, uh, the leader and, uh, and on the whole setup. But today, with educated Americans, there is nothing serious, nothing meaningful that you can talk about except for sports and stocks and, and kids and schools. Uh, yeah. I was in, in Russia two weeks ago attending a conference uh, in memory of a, a very interesting philosopher and thinker, Alexander Zinoviev, who died nine years ago. And uh, there was nothing but serious stuff to discuss all the time, whether it is uh, the demographic future of uh, Europe, uh, whether it is the identity of Russia, whether it belongs to uh, the Western civilization or to a particular Eurasian identity, whether it is about uh, race relations or, or about global hegemony and geopolitics. It's interesting stuff. Agree with them or disagree with them, and they're passionate about it. That is totally missing in Paris, London, Washington, uh, yeah. wherever uh, the, the virus of, uh, of liberal capitalist democracy has penetrated, uh, people have been inured to the uniformity of thought and feeling that is most depressing, certainly uh, far worse than anything we've seen under either real socialism or under the black totalitarianism between the wars. Dr. Drifkovich, I know the, uh, we've only got you for a, a few more minutes, so I wanted to ask you, has the unwitting beneficiary or the unexpected beneficiary of uh, these attacks been, been Putin at the G20, as it seems like everyone's uh, starting to uh, circle back around him? Well, uh, uh, by default, because after all, people are beginning to realize that he's the only serious player who has a good mind to destroy not only ISIS, but other Islamic terrorist groups. 
some of which are actively supported by America's close friends like Turkey, Saudi Arabia, and the Gulf monarchies. And also because it's becoming obvious that uh, uh, the crisis of choice, which Victoria Newland and co. engineered in Ukraine, is taking attention of Europe away from the existential crisis in which uh, Russia is and should be a natural ally. Unfortunately, I think that uh, the duopoly in Washington, the neo-lib, neo-con uh, duopoly, will continue to play its double game and that uh, ISIS will be treated with kid gloves. After all, uh, it is an invention of Erdogan and the Saudis who see it as a welcome wedge between Iran and Iraq, the Shiite uh, heartland in the east, the Alawites of Syria and Hezbollah in Lebanon. So the geopolitical games will continue to be played to the detriment of not only anti-terrorist uh, action, but also to the detriment of Syria and the region. My, my last question for you, Dr. Zivkovich, is uh, do you think that these events will pose a serious threat to Shenzhen uh, as the, the, visa, the visa-less travel area, or will they do their best to withstand it? Uh, it would be senseless to uh, impose internal borders within the Schengen zone without stopping the refugee uh, stroke uh, migrant influx and without establishing a more stringent, stringent control of the domestic diasporas in those countries, composed in most uh, cases of people born in those countries as in the third generation and uh, holding their passports. So uh, erecting or re-erecting those barriers. I'm all in favor of having very firm barrier in the Mediterranean that will prevent boats flooding Greece from Turkey or Sicily and Calabria from uh, Northern Africa. But within the Schengen zone, it would be like uh, uh, closing the trap door after the horses have run away. And uh, uh, in this case, the vultures, they're all over the place. And uh, preventing their movement from one country to another doesn't help much if there are untold thousands or tens of thousands of them within the country already. Well, Dr. Trifkovich, as, as I would like to say as always, but uh, thank you so much for joining us on, on this first uh, Fleming Foundation podcast uh, for something like this. I know you're in between lectures today, so thanks for taking the time to speak with us, and we look forward to having you on future episodes. Same here, all the best to all your listeners, and I look forward to being with you again. Thank you. Thank you. So, Dr. Fleming, uh, on on the heels of uh, Dr. Trifkovich leaving us, is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with uh, to think about today? I think that uh, this is a a crisis period for the West. That not that not the bombing in Paris itself, but that that this is an opportunity to become aware of the world we're living in we in North America and in Europe, and to be aware of the, of, the, of the world historical conflict that is coming to a head. The problem has been, and the problem will persist, that the political leadership of the West cannot, cannot come to grips with a religiously motivated uh, ideological attack on the West because they have no religion themselves they don't understand how whether whether islam is a good religion or an evil religion is irrelevant these people don't understand anything about the religious nature or even the social nature of the human race and the only the only thing that can happen in the west that will allow people in france or italy or germany or the united states to resist these forces would be a genuine and authentic revival of Christianity. And, but in America, for example, Christianity is, seems to be dominated by television preachers and megachurches. It's one great P.T. Barnum circus. And as long as religion in the West is either run by academic intellectuals, as it is 
largely in, in, in England or in the American Northeast, or dominated by these huckstering con artists, that there's no chance for a revival of serious Christianity, which is the only thing that can possibly oppose the, the, the spread of Islam. Secularism and hedonism and pornography and all the things which the Republican Party in the United States has been saying for years, that will be the undoing of Islam. It doesn't work. And we saw the, 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 the uh, Muhammad Atta and his friends were eating junk food and watching pornography the night before their attack on September 11th. So it, it simple, these, these so-called weapons we have of Western luxury and, and consumerism are powerless to stop this onslaught. And so I, the, it sounds childish, perhaps, or naive to say that only through faith will we be able to resist this anti-faith. But I think it is literally true that on, only a revivified Christian culture will be able to resist Islamic terrorism. Well, and I don't, I don't see it as childish, Dr. Fleming. I, I see it as a, a realist solution. Uh, as you say, all the other uh, solutions have proven themselves, so-called solutions have proven themselves to be wanting in numerous ways. That's right. And uh, uh, they're, they're, without, without this, there's nothing to fight for. I mean, this is uh, why if you were a, a youth, a, a 20-year-old in Paris, what, what, are you, what exactly are you fighting for? Are you, you're, 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 you're fighting for the right to drink wine? This is, this is not something you're going to risk your life for. And step <laughs> by step, you know, well, I would, but I mean, that's, uh, that's a different story. But, you know, step by step, it's, it's, been, it's been understood by those who study Islam. You know, that you don't come in uh, with 5% of the population Muslim. You don't demand uh, a complete Sharia law. But when you have 20, 30, 40%, you start saying things like, we shouldn't be offended by seeing women wearing bikinis on a beach. We shouldn't be offended by seeing people drink alcohol in public. If they want to drink alcohol at home, of course, we have no objection. And of course, when they once they get to a majority, then they ban they ban all alcohol. But it, it's always uh, this stead, and they have they have formulas among uh, among these uh, Sharia law advocates about what they can demand under when when they have what percentage of the population, and they 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 will wear us away. We're already hearing claims. You know, there's a city in uh, in um, the state of Michigan where they have a majority Muslim in the city and on the city council, and they're talking about implementing Sharia law as an alternative to the uh, legal system of the city. Now, this will be voluntary, obviously. It's not, it's not something to panic about, but it's a step-by-step -step process. There is no way of resisting this process if you're only interested in, well, I, I would say saving your bacon, but then they don't eat bacon. <laughs> well, Dr. I, mean, I, I think that's a good place for us to stop. Uh, I suppose bacon's always a good place to stop. Uh, for our that's listeners, right. thank you so much for uh, joining us for this uh, first try in this uh, space. We, you will note over the next few weeks that we have other podcasts that will be coming out. Be patient with us. It's a new for the Fleming Foundation to be doing podcast and uh, starting next season which starts in January you're going to see a bit more polish and production but for now we figured you'd rather have something than nothing again thanks for listening and to find out more about our work please visit fleming.foundation